in 2022, 12% of calves in the U.S. were born by ET. Welcome back, everyone, to the Dairy Science Digest. This is a podcast designed to bring the Journal of Dairy Science straight to the ears of dairy producers. I'm Reagan Bluell with the University of Missouri Dairy Team, and today we're meeting with Dr. Asha Miles from the USDA office. And as a research geneticist in the Animal Genetics Improvement Lab, she's passionate about deep dives into data, making sure your herd has the highest possible fertility. Recently, there's been a, an increased number of embryo transfers in the national herd and she and her team are working on looking at the data to determine if this has any impact on sire conception rates. So this information is all part of a featured article this month in the Journal of Dairy Science titled Improving National Fertility Evaluations by Accounting for the Rapid Rise of Embryo Transfer in the U.S. Dairy Cattle. So welcome to Dairy Science Digest. And before we get going, could you please tell the audience a bit about yourself? Yes, Reagan, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to tell you a little bit about what I do and my role here at USDA. Again, my name is Asha Miles and I'm from California originally. And while I don't come from a dairy family, I did grow up in the Central Valley with lots of dairy kids. And that's how I sort of chose dairy. I developed a passion for it and for the hardworking people who are the foundation of this industry. And in school, I always had an interest in biotechnology and genetics, and I ended up eventually going to Cornell for my PhD in animal science with concentrations on genetics and epidemiology. Now I work for the Animal Genomics and Improvement Laboratory in Beltsville, Maryland, just outside of Washington, D.C., and we're part of the Agricultural Research Service, which is a branch of the USDA that views itself as a problem-solving organization. So our mandate is to do research that provides uh, solutions directly to our stakeholders, and in this case, the dairy producers. So this work we'll talk about today is just one example of that. Fantastic. And I'm I'm really excited to talk a lot about it because this project's maybe a little bit different for listeners that have tuned in every month. This is not an actual animal feeding trial or, or specific to one specific herd and replicated. This has been a pretty major undertaking involving over 90 million data points. Could you please explain the importance of USDA being involved in this verification of reproductive performance and Where's the source of this anonymous data coming from? Yeah, that's a, a fantastic question. And, and one that when I was first hired, I really had to do a deep dive into our history to understand. So this laboratory really dates back to 1908. At that point, we were called the Bureau of Animal Industry. And USDA brought over a man named Helmer Rabild from Denmark, who had some success in organizing cow testing, so like monthly milk testing, that type of thing, in Denmark, and they wanted to do something similar in the United States. And so that's when we really first started collecting this information um, on a regional and eventually national scale. And now over 100 years later, we have data from over 100 million lactations, genotypes from nearly 7 million animals and over 90 million pedigrees. And what's really exciting about that is this really gives us a very broad, high-level overview of the types of trends that are happening in the dairy industry. In other animal production systems that are a little bit more fractured or less cohesive, they don't really have the ability to look at overall trends like that. And I think that that insight really makes a big difference in the progress that our industry can make. 
You bet. As I was reading through your paper, I was just absolutely enamored by that figure one that was talking about embryo transfer and and where we've come as an industry over the last 10 years or so for embryo transfer. Could you could you talk a little bit about some of the observations that stimulated this project being done? Absolutely. Okay, wonderful. So again, one of the unique positions we have in this laboratory is that we're able to look at changes in different types of breeding events and calving types that are happening across our entire U.S. dairy population, at least in terms of the herds that participate in sending us data. And we noticed that even in just the last two or three years, the number of calves born by embryo transfer, or ET, as I'll probably abbreviate throughout this interview, um, has just skyrocketed. And in 2022, last year, 12% of calves in the U.S. were born by ET, compared to 1% or 2% in the couple years prior to that. And figure one is also showing the trend in breeding events. And so when we're calculating fertility evaluations, we have essentially two types of records. We have the calves that are born and how they're born, whether it was um, whether they were a twin, a single birth, a clone, or an embryo. But then we also correspond that back to the dam mating records Mm -hmm. um, to see, you know, how was this calf created? Was it artificial insemination? Was it sex semen? Was it nuclear transfer? Was it embryo transfer? And what we're noticing is that while there's a huge increase in the number of ET calves born, there is not an increase in the number of ET breeding events reported. And so Having that that sort of high-level view of this trend across the whole industry was initially concerning because we were worried that that meant that artificial insemination, AI events, were incorrectly being attributed to ET calves, which Mm -hmm. could inflate things like sire conception rate evaluations. So I I know the paper didn't talk much about this specifically, but just as a, a person knowledgeable in reproductive physiology, talk to me a little bit about your thoughts over the last two years throughout the industry. Tell me about embryo transfer and why has it been increasing so much? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of interesting discussion to be had on this topic. So embryo transfer has been commercialized as a technology since the 1970s, but it really only became exceedingly affordable in the last 10 years or so. Embryos purchased in high enough volumes could cost anywhere from $100 to $125. And that does put it on par on a similar level to AI. And there are many advantages of it. The pregnancy rate is is probably about similar success as, as to AI but also you're having substantially reduced generation intervals. Mm-hmm. There is a table in the paper with just one example following one Holstein cow um, and her entire line of embryos mm-hmm. and, and that generation. Mm-hmm. And it really impresses the magnitude of progress that can be made in selecting high quality embryos. And so all of a sudden you can amplify your wonderful cow family and, and get a much more desirable herd. That's incredible. Oh, absolutely. And and if you look at the reproductive or fertility management strategies producers are using today, most herds that are using their most aggressive selection programs are flushing embryos from their top one to 2% of cows, putting them into their sort of middling cows, and then maybe their bottom 60% are all getting bred to beef. And of course, this pattern varies. Every farm is different. They have a different 
management system and strategies that work for them, but this is becoming an increasingly common trend. You bet, absolutely. And I know as, as dairy farmers are out there working real hard, perhaps they maybe have not seen these trends. I'm glad that you were able to learn more about what's happening out there and, and see if it's feasible. Let's plant a seed. So you also looked at sire conception rate data and you wanted to correlate to see if, if what is published is accurate. So let's talk a little bit about your observations on sire conception data in your data set. Uh, sure. So as I mentioned earlier, our first concern was that AI inseminations were getting false credit for the resulting calves that were born by embryo transfer. And so simply by linking the dam ID of the calf with the dam ID of the corresponding mating record, we were able to see that that's not actually true. And that's good news, mm -hmm. right? Because in the case of embryo transfer, conception is not actually occurring. That's already happened. Right. What happens is you implant a high quality embryo and pregnancy occurs. And so the thing about genetic improvement is you can only improve what you can measure. Your genetics are only as good as your phenotype or the observable trait. And so if we have this, we call confounding bias in how we're measuring the phenotype that can totally throw off the genetic evaluation. And so we wanted to be as certain as possible that that wasn't happening. And what we ended up finding is that ET breeding events just aren't being reported at all. They're, they're not reaching us. Wow. And so what we did in this paper and what's already been applied in the national genetic evaluations that are calculated and distributed by the Council on Dairy Cattle Breeding is we applied an edit where we identified herds that had over 10% of their calves born by ET. So they're doing a substantial amount of it, mm -hmm. um, but they had less than half of the expected breeding events reported. Mm. And this was sort of an arbitrary cutoff for us. It was simply to identify herd years that we thought could be introducing the most bias to the evaluations. Mm -hmm. It's easy to remove bias if you know where the errors are. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, if ET breedings aren't being reported, we don't know where the errors are. Yes. And, and so this was sort of a strategy that allowed us to maximize data preservation without throwing out too many observations, but also remove um, the most likely sources of bias in that evaluation. Talk about young sires. I know young sires are growing in popularity in the dairy industry. How can producers rest assured that they're using sires that are reliable? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> If you're going to be investing this much money into your breeding program, you, you want to know that it's going to be worth it, right? And genomics really has just revolutionized how this works. A lot of producers who are actively using genomics in their herds, they don't even bother to raise heifers. They, when they give them an ear tag, they send it off for genotyping, they get the results back. And if it's in the bottom 60% of their herd, they call them. Mm. They don't even keep them for a replacement or sell them as a replacement. Wow. I think a couple of years ago at World Dairy Expo, there was seven week old Holstein calf who sold for something like $300,000. I, I, I'm not entirely sure about the number, but it was based on genomics. Right. And, and, and that's how confident our, our industry has become since genomic evaluations became available in 2009. Mm -hmm. And so I think really over the last... Um, gosh, 14 years, the reliability of it really speaks for itself, or it would not be so popular. And we wouldn't have enjoyed the dramatic genetic progress that we have and genetic improvement. 
Now, some of the, the bulls that had the biggest changes in their PTAs with our ET edits were young bulls. Mm. And we have done some work to validate and verify that this edit is working as intended. And so, for example, we just sort of hand checked them. We took a handful of bulls from each breed who had the biggest change, and we compared their PTAs from the December 2021 evaluation, which was the last one before the edit, with April 2022, August 2022, and December 2022 Mm -hmm. to say, okay, after the edit, how much did their evaluation change? And what did it do after that? And what we saw is that, you know, yes, there was a big change with the edit, but then that value tended to stabilize and the reliability or the accuracy Mm -hmm. um, became much higher as we added more records. And we tried to investigate why this change would be more common in young bulls than others. And one of our hypotheses is that this is actually a policy of the AI companies where their new young bulls, they're actually restricting for use in ET. Mm-hmm. And that's a it's a business strategy to limit access to their sons, ah. right? It, it keeps that genetic asset theirs mm-hmm. if they only use them for ET. Mm-hmm. And so naturally, those young bulls who don't have a lot of daughter records yet, if we remove a huge chunk of them because it's unreported ET, the evaluations for that bull are going to change dramatically because of the data available. And so um, my personal plug, having worked in this industry for, well, and in genetics for a long time, is I really believe in genomics mm-hmm. and I, I think it's um, a powerful tool and I, I don't think producers should be nervous about using young bulls. I think they represent a huge opportunity. And I, I would also mention too that every new generation is just outperforming the others by leaps and bounds. And so really, if you want to stay as cutting edge as possible in your industry and have the best performing cows, you almost have to utilize young bulls, if that makes sure. sense. Yeah. And, and you take a little bit of risk with that, but, but have confidence in that genomic side of things. So one sentence in your paper that I really want to highlight, it says, these changes would have major effects on AI companies and dairy producers alike. So adapting fertility evaluations to account for changing reproductive management is critical to serving the dairy industry, but really focusing in on the fact that this information and being able to shake out the two from the data is really important. So how can dairy producers with boots on the ground help you better report their data? Yeah, so um, I guess I'll back up a little bit and say when these fertility evaluations were first developed, I think SCR, sire conception rate, came out in maybe 2004. And then um cow conception rate and heifer conception rate, which were also investigated in this paper, came out uh, around 2009. ET wasn't a big technology at that point. It wasn't being used enough to be of any real concern. And so, again, the edits of the data before they go into the calculation of the evaluations, they remove known ET. The problem, again, is that we don't know about the ET. And I have to believe that dairy producers who are investing in a robust ET program are keeping good records of it. You betcha. There's just no way that you put that kind of money and energy into something like that and you don't write it down. Right. So then the obstacle, then the question becomes, why isn't that data reaching us through the usual system? Right. And 
you know, there could be instances I've worked on a farm. Anyone who's worked on a farm understands how dynamic the things that happen every day are. Maybe you inseminate a cow one day Mm -hmm. and that gets into the computer. You find out that she's open later. You do another insemination. She's open again. Then you stick an embryo into her. If that last embryo implantation doesn't make it into the computer, Mm -hmm. then our database might have a record of an embryo calf, but it thinks it came from that second AI. Right. And, and, and that and that can happen. So right. trying to be really consistent in who on your farm enters data and that they have good training to make sure that it happens. And I also understand that, you know, with the daily happenings of the farm, that can be tough to be perfect at, but really trying to be very consistent and meticulous about your records is, is huge, but also just the complete lack of data reaching us tells me that that's not the main issue here. Mm-hmm. There's some sort of stopgap where maybe the herd management software is not configured to transfer ET data to the dairy records processing centers, mm-hmm. which in turn are our conduit to this data. And so I think really advocating for the needs of your herd, if you're someone doing a lot of ET and you want that data reaching us so we can give you better fertility solutions from a breeding and genetics perspective, don't be shy, be loud about that. Right. And I also want to emphasize this edit that we've employed works, but it's not our ideal solution, right? Embryo transfer is representing our most elite cows. And if we're throwing away a good portion of the data from our most elite animals, then we're not getting a very complete picture of what the U.S. population is looking like. Right. And that's huge, right? Because those most elite animals are likely going to be generating the sires of the next generation. And so we need to know as much information about that particular breeding as possible, for sure. Absolutely. And I think um, figure six in the paper shows the the percentage of AI bulls born by ET, and it's almost 100%. Yes. And if you look at the top bull list published by CDCB, They all are pretty much born by ET. And you can tell because in their bull name at the very end, there's a dash ET, which tells how they were born. And it's just, it's become such a prevalent technology. It's not something we really need to get ahead of before it creates a problem for us. And those of you listening can be part of that solution just by reaching out to your software companies that help handle your data to ensure that we're getting a good snapshot of what's happening on your farm. So talking a little bit about some of the Council of Dairy Cattle Breeding and some of the lists that they generate, tell me more about where producers might be able to find the sire conception rate and or what line on that table should they be looking at in order to determine which sire to select? Yeah, absolutely. So that's a very uh, multifaceted question. I'll do my best. Um, so, so all of this genetic valuation information is publicly available on the CDCB's website. That's usCDCB.com. That's Uniform Sierra Charlie Delta Charlie Bravo.com. And if you go to their Web Connect tab on the website, there's a couple ways you can look at the evaluation results. You can click on queries. And that lets you search by specific animal ID. So if you're genotyping your cows and you want to check one of their specific results, you can search them by ID that way. Or if you're just generally looking for sires to use in your herd, you can click on their top animal lists tab. And that will tell you for 
the most recent release of the official evaluations. These come out three times a year, so April, August, and December of each year. Um, it'll show you what their evaluations are for all of the traits evaluated, and it will also give you their PTA for net merit. And net merit has been around since 1994, and it's by far the most popular tool, frankly, in the world for selecting bulls. And it's, it's an economic index, meaning that all of the traits inside must have an associated cost or uh, profit. And the model itself solves for what weighting each trait has in it. And the number that is spits out at the end is essentially an estimate of the lifetime profit of that animal transmitting to its progeny. So it's a really elegant way of balancing really important traits to get an overall better cow. Now that said, that's considering all kinds of economically important traits like um, milk, fat, and protein yields, udder health, other health parameters, um, heifer livability, all, all kinds of things. And that information is also available on that website. But that doesn't mean that it's the right tool for every herd. And I really believe in personalizing the dairy producer's management plan. You know your cows better than anyone else. You know your system better. You know what works for you. And so it's possible if you feel like your production levels are great, but your fertility could use help, maybe you don't want to use mm -hmm. net merit. Um, I'm not here to, to say you should or you should not. Um, net merit's been wildly successful, but if you're more interested in pursuing improvement on very specific traits in your herd, that information is also all available on the website. So in the case of our discussion now on fertility, you would be looking at lines for sire conception rate or SCR, cow conception rate, CCR, uh, heifer conception rate, HCR, or daughter pregnancy rate, which is DPR. Fantastic. And, and I really like that you emphasize the fact that every dairy is going to be uniquely different. And honestly, if you want to go all the way, drill down all the way to the cow, every cow is going to be uniquely different, but, but that net merit gives you an opportunity. It's a tool in the toolbox to match with phenotypic data and, and make sure that everything's working well in your herd. And so I applaud you for what you do every day, ma'am. And I, and I thank you for your time as far as investing in this report to ensure that the dairy industry fundamentally is heading in the right direction, ensuring that that these sires that are coming out are great animals to breed our next generation to. Are there any other details that you'd like to add to boots on the ground dairy producers that are listening in? There's one other point that I would make, which is that producers who want to enhance their breeding programs on, on farm, don't be shy about asking for help. That's what we're here for. That's what we believe in. I also, in particular, am very passionate about translating science into something that's usable for the end user. Otherwise, what we do just doesn't matter as much. And if the farmers can't use it or understand it, then I'm not doing my job. So like sire conception rate is a really good example where it's a very powerful tool, but you need to understand exactly how it's calculated. And most people just simply don't have the time to, to read about how it's calculated and therefore what it means. And nor should you have to. How do they go about reaching out if they decide that they want to have help? So work with your genetic services specialist for the stud that you're using. They should be able to answer all those questions for you or know who to ask if they can't answer them all. You know, in the case of, of SCR, 
sexed semen is not used at all in these calculations. Oh. And that's one of our next projects on the horizon. And again, that's because these conception rate evaluations were developed before it was widely right. used. Now, the majority of, of dairy AI is done with sex semen. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that we really need to start getting ahead of so that these evaluations continue to be the most valuable tools possible for producers. If you have ideas about research that you think needs to be done to support your herd, you can absolutely reach out to me personally. Um, and I hope you put my email address on the website link for the podcast. Sure. These are things that I can then advocate for and say, you know, it is my job to do research that serves producers. This is what they're asking for. And I can then lobby that for resources to be able to do that kind of research. It's incredible what can happen in a span of 15 to 20 years. Right. You were talking about how sire conception rate uh, numbers started rolling out in 2003 and and here and then with the bovine genome really amplifying in 2009. And so these were fundamental years that are transformative to the dairy industry. And as you look at the productivity per cow, you can see we're on the right path. It's just a, a wild roller coaster of a ride for the industry, but we're having a good time riding it. And I'm so glad that you shared some insight with us and, and thank you for your time. Listeners, I applaud you for taking time out of your day today to not only learn about the rise in embryo transfer and, and maybe plant a seed in your mind a little bit, but also to, to give some consideration about how your USDA is continuing to help your herd in ways that you might not have even realized. I've really enjoyed our conversation and this has been the June edition of the Dairy Science Digest, a monthly podcast project designed to bring the Journal of Dairy Science straight to the ears of producers. We highlight peer-reviewed research articles that are actively impressed in the Journal of Dairy Science. It's sound science that you can base your management decision around provided by your University of Missouri dairy team. So be sure to like, share, and subscribe to get future editions straight to your cell phone. This is Ray Gimbel with the Dairy Science Digest, and I hope you have a great day.